Welcome again to Kaide Bentley's channel. It's been a while. Um, it's just been a while. Um, one of the topics I'm going to talk about today is uh, the five cliche Bible verses. Now, the last video I did talked about the misquote, the popular misquote that goes like uh, God works in mysterious ways. And I uh, showed in scripture how that's not correct. I have a part two to that. Uh, basically providing further scripture in the Bible that uh, further proves that that's simply not true. So just uh, be ready for that. That'll be after this one. What I want to talk about today simply is God never gives, you know, the five, excuse me, the five cliche Bible verses um, that are typically used. Now they could be, you know, I'm sure they're more, I'm sure there's seven, you know, nine, 15, 25, who knows, I'm just going to address the five that I thought were, you know, were important. I know there are others that are important, but I'm just going to touch on these five. So the first one is God never gives you more than you can handle, as you can see on the screen right here. This is one of those phrases people reach for in difficult times. And this is what the writer, so the person who's writing, let me give you the full. So the person who's writing is, goes by the name or the author goes by the name of Nicholas Davis. So Nicholas Davis is the is lead pastor of Redemption Church PC in San Diego, California. So this is who this is coming from. And I just so happened to find the five cliches here, interesting and relative, which is why I'm speaking on. Number one, God never gives you more than you can handle. According to Nicholas, this is one of those phrases people reach for in difficult times. So he can understand why it's said. I can, I've heard it said before too, and, and can understand as well. Trying to comfort a hurting friend, we say God won't give you more than you can handle. Um, but is that true biblically? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8-9, through the Apostle Paul shares openly, for we do not wrestle, excuse me, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, sisters as well, um, of the affliction, I don't mean to misparaphrase, putting words in where it doesn't say, but I would, I believe that God is speaking to not only men, but to women as well when he says this. Uh, it's just the timing in which this was written. So again, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we've experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. I was going to say, whatever circumstances he faced had pushed him over the edge. Paul was beyond his own resources. It was bigger than he could handle. What we learned from Paul's example is that sometimes God actually gives us more than we can handle. That's why we need him. If we could handle everything by ourselves, we would. why would we even need to trust in the Lord to provide us with what we don't have but can find in him okay i and i, I hate using double double feedback double explanation whatever you want to call it meaning yes and no i hate giving yes and no answers but sometimes answers are more complicated than a yes or no and that's just the way it is so god never gives us more than we can handle and the point here that nicholas is saying is that uh People use this as an excuse, um, trying to comfort a friend. That's what we say. He goes on to say, whatever circumstances he faced that pushed him over the edge. Paul was beyond his own resources. It was bigger than he could handle. Uh, as in, you know, you're at the rest already. 
All right. My my feedback is, and I agree, God God doesn't give us more than we can bear, more than we can handle. And yes, he does allow us to go through certain things. So that way we realize who's really in control and in charge. I don't think that's an excuse. Uh, I do think people use it as an excuse, but I don't think it's necessarily an excuse. Um, prime example, what's taking place right now in society is the coronavirus and everyone's quarantined. There are certain people, not certain people, but people can catch this virus and it could result in the loss of their life. And that's nothing anyone can control. Um, so if we tie that into God doesn't give us more than we can handle, not everyone has been afflicted with this virus. So those who haven't been afflicted with this virus, I would venture to say that's a blessing. Right? That's, that's grace. That's mercy. Uh, especially for those who aren't being careless and irresponsible and going outside without a mask and gloves. Now I get it. You know, I get the conspiracy theories and, you know, I'm a subscriber to, I wouldn't say conspiracy theories, but I'm, I'm a subscriber to their, a certain, uh, ulterior motives and agendas that are being done by uh, the government. I believe that there are man-made concoctions of viruses. And to be honest and to be completely transparent, at the beginning of this whole thing, I thought it was, and to some extent still do, a man-made virus created. Uh, some reports say that it originated in China other reports here originated here in the U.S. as a way to exterminate certain populations or certain genders. Who's to say that that's true and who's to say that that's not true? I just know how I feel. So in the beginning, this, this is what I thought about. I was like, ah, you know, this is just another ploy, another game, another, you know, another game. But the reality started to set in where people really started to get affected. And the truth of the matter, maybe it was man-made. It could be a, a political agenda or an ulterior motive or some diabolical agenda. But the fact of the matter is this virus exists and it's here. And it is affecting people's lives. How many? From what the reports show us, a lot. Can that be fabricated? Can they be, you know, the news or the government and all be making up these bodies and stuff like that? Possible. Um, Highly unlikely, but it's possible. But the bottom line is God, I believe God never gives us more than we can handle. And I think it's, if we stop and think about it, it makes sense. See, a lot of things that we've gone through in life that in hindsight, we're grateful that we made it through. There are things we witness in life that happens to other people that if it had happened to us, we don't know how we would have handled it, if we could have been able to handle it at all. So I count that as grace. I count that as God not afflicting you with that same thing, knowing you wouldn't be able to handle And then there's different thresholds of, of a tolerance that we all as individuals have. Some person may be more tolerant with a certain level of whatever than another person, right? So that's God's grace um, and making sure it doesn't affect you, hence not giving you more than you can handle. So that's my take on that. Uh, this next one, number two, cliche number two, is when God closes a door, he opens a window. Or when God closes one door, he opens another door. It's the same thing. So uh, Nicholas goes on to say, no doubt, this is well-intended well advice. But like the first cliche, it's biblically dishonest. Okay, so he thought the first cliche was biblically dishonest. 
I didn't. God doesn't put on too much of us than we can handle. I don't believe that's biblically dishonest, and now I already uh, uh, expressed why. So he, so Nick feels that this second one is biblically dishonest as well. He feels it's well-intended advice, but it's uh, dishonest. He goes on to say, but like the first cliche, uh, well, sometimes God closes the door and shuts the window. Sometimes God doesn't permit us to do what we want to do, go where we want to go, and be who we want to be. And that's in Romans 8, 38, verse 39. Paul writes, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He goes on to say, what this reveals to us is that even if, well, that was scripture verse. So he, this is his words he's speaking, as y'all can see. What this reveals to us is that even if nothing goes our way, everything stands against us. Every door and window is shut in our face. If even life is taken from us, nothing can keep us from the love of God in Christ because he has conquered death. As true as that is and as comforting as this should be, we are nowhere promised that God will open a window once a door is shut. It's possible that every option can run out and we are left with nothing but Jesus. I respectfully disagree on some level. I do agree that there are some things that we want but do not necessarily need. And God's grace allows things to happen so that way we don't get what we wanted. So to that point, I agree. I don't agree completely that when God, you know, when one door closed, God opened another. I believe that that is absolutely true for those who are operating in accordance to their purpose, meaning what God has called them to do. Everyone born has been born with a purpose. I'm not speaking in reference to children who have been born and died in an early age, stillbirths, you know, things of that nature where a person hasn't fully developed or those who have been um, uh, killed in error, drive-by shootings, you know, uh, innocent lives. I'm not speaking about, I can't speak on innocent lives. In this discussion, I'm just speaking in, you know, basically general terms for those who haven't had a loved one affected by that and those who are not here anymore because of that. I'm, I can't speak to that at this point. But for those of us who are here, I would venture to say again that those who are operating in court according to their purpose, as they're operating according to their purpose and, 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 and contacting, calling, or planning, or executing a task, and that falls through that God brings another opportunity, be it that door closed that they pursued, that they on their plan that they thought was the right uh, way to go, and that shut, God brings about another opportunity uh, from another area, another direction, from another person, uh, somewhere that they weren't even aware of. That's what I believe, which isn't in total agreement with cliche. So I do believe that cliche number two, uh, I do believe that number two isn't uh, a cliche. I believe that's, I believe that that's uh, according to God's purpose. 
in a word. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to put them in the bottom and I'll, I'll provide scripture that coincides with what I'm saying. So that, that takes care. And also before I go any further, feel free to, if you found this information, what you've heard so far informative, obviously hit the like button, subscribe and share this information. You never know who may need to hear this. All right, so number three, quote unquote cliche number three, God helps those who help themselves. Ask someone where this is in the Bible, and they'll probably take a guess. Of course, it's not there. This cliche was coined by Benjamin Franklin, and it should never be used by Christians who believe that the Bible is God's truth. We are so far from being capable of helping ourselves that the Bible says we're not just helpless, but we are spiritually dead. What this means is that God helps us when we can't help ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 says, or teaches, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. While we were still hopeless sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. God helps the helpless. So I see where he's coming from with that. God helps the helpless. So God helps those who can't help themselves. As opposed to the cliche where it says, God help, well, God helps those who help themselves. So in the last sentence, he says, while we are still hopeless sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. God helps the helpless. So I'm a little confused by his statement right there, but I'm just going to address the cliche in and of itself where it says, God helps those who help themselves. I absolutely believe that. In fact, it requires further clarification. So when I was young, just got back from college, entering into the workforce, I remember coming home and when I was in high school for summer jobs, uh, I had summer work thanks to my, my, my mother and my dad. And, you know, I had a resume and everything. And I would receive, I received letters from a lot of the companies that I applied to, you know, not and getting replies, we're sorry, you know, at this time we're not hiring, or at this time the position has been filled, or at this time we don't think they're a good fit, you know, the whole, you know, I, you know, I would get them or what have you, and just, you know, mail my resume out and wait for, you know, a, a job offer. And my mother spoke to me. She came in. I was on on in my room, knocked out. Well, not knocked out, but just on the guy. And, you know, my mother was like, well, what's going on? You know, what's going on with work? Things of that nature. And that's what I thought. I said, you know, I sent out, I sent, you know, mail my resume out. I'm not getting any job orders. He said, well, you better do something. Get your behind up. Get on, work on that pavement and start handing out your resume from door to door. Oh, because you're not going to be laying up in here. <laughs> not working. I'm not having that. So yeah, I had to get my behind up and uh, do that. So I went out and, you know, I, I did my research on online and uh, found employment agencies and, you know, and in my resume, and I eventually got employed. Nowhere. It was a temp agency at the time, attorney, full time. And that's what happened. But had I not done that, I would not have had, you know, would not have had that opportunity, would not have had the job, most likely. Um, as it stands today, we never know. But I'm sure that had I not done that, I would have been forced into a situation where, you know, eventually I have to get up off my behind. You know, these letters weren't working that I was sending out and take my behind and actually hit that payment and do what I uh, did. So the point to that is this. 
God can't help you if you don't give him something to work with. I hope that makes sense. So if I'm not sending out my resume, which I was, but I'm just saying the, the, the cliche from one extreme to the next, if I'm just sitting on my behind or laying down uh, and expecting things to come to me, that's, that doesn't give God anything to work with, right? I mean, you, you have to do something. You have to put yourself out there so God can use that. So I had to put my resume out there. I had to go to these employment agencies for God to be able to work on my behalf, right? So I'm there, you know, I speak, I do everything I can do, and then he takes care of the rest. And I believe that's one of the cliches probably uh, that's floating out there. Basically, you take the first step, God will take the rest. Uh, but the point is you, God has to have something to work with. So God helps those who help themselves. That's what that means. So if you want to lose weight, you just can't sit on your behind. This isn't directed at anyone or any gender. So don't come at me with that. Um, but if, if, if you want to lose weight, you can't sit on a couch and not exercise and keep eating ice cream and cake and heavy foods or fast foods all the time and expect to lose weight. That's not realistic. Can't expect that. So, but right. So, how you expect God? How you expect God to just remove the pounds from you? Come on, that's you know that don't make sense. So, what you have to do if you want to lose weight is you have to watch what you eat. Make sure you're not eating foods that are heavy in uh, calories, you know, and fat. Uh, make sure that you go outside and you jog and make sure you lift weights and things of that nature. And God could use that by motivating you, giving you the extra energy that you need, um, giving you the inspiration that you need to be able to accomplish that or to run that extra mile or to lift, do that extra rep. Um, you know what I mean? Or to with, withhold or withstand from taking that extra bite of that cake or ice cream. You know, by you doing something, he has, you're giving him something to work with and you're conditioning your body and in turn your body recognize what's going on and follow suit. So that's my my feedback to God helps those who help themselves. So I don't necessarily agree uh, with that. God helps those who can't help themselves is what you're saying. God helps those who can't help themselves too. I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm not saying if you can't, you know, if you can't, if you're in a position where you've done all you can and you can't do anything else, yeah, God comes in and, and, you know, intercedes and helps, right? So I guess we're saying the same thing. I agree with his, but I'm also, uh, I also am saying that from what I'm getting, I, might, I hope I'm not misinterpreting this where he says, God, that this isn't true, that God doesn't help those who help themselves. Number four, nobody's perfect. Or everyone makes mistakes is another cliche, cliche number four. Goes on to say, when someone messes up, this is a common response that even Christians use, and we shouldn't, because the problem with us, according to the Bible, isn't that we make mistakes. Our problem is that we sin, and we are sinners. True, nobody's perfect. The saying this implies that since nobody is perfect, everyone is okay, and that everyone's sinful behavior, thoughts, and speech should be excused. After telling us that the perfect law of God shuts our mouths in Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
what we find throughout the Bible is not an excuse for our sin and wrongdoing, but a real solution provided through the body and blood and in the life and death of Jesus. This is Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. Now, I had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine. My feedback to that is nobody's perfect. Yeah, I don't agree, you know, that that should be an excuse to sin or to, what do you say here? Uh, and speech should be excused. I'm not saying that, you know, sinful behavior, thoughts and speech should be excused. I'm not saying that. Nobody's perfect. Granted, is that an excuse not to try? No. Are we to strive to be perfect? Yes. Are we to strive to not engage in sinful behavior? Yes. Are we to strive to not have sinful thoughts? Yes. Are we, um, are we to strive to not have evil speech? Absolutely. Strive for. Strive for, not necessarily accomplish, but strive for every day. If you have sinful thoughts, every day try to, to not have sinful thoughts. Every day, if you are engaged in sinful behavior, every day try to not engage in sinful behavior. Uh, and if every day you, you know, you have sinful speech, or you're talking, you know, sinfully, uh, you should try not to talk sinfully. Now, would you? mess up yeah because we live in a sinful world and we're surrounded by structures be it the media be it the music we listen to be it those we associate with our associates colleagues um, they're in a different place in their walk with god or maybe not with god at all or haven't gotten there yet um so those influences are constantly around us and we're human i'm not using that as an excuse that's not an excuse i'm just saying in in lapse of mind uh circumstances that develop be it what have you friend family foe uh someone attacking you you know unwarrantedly you didn't do anything what have you you feeling a certain way you're human you're reacting right emotionally so in that state you might say something ungodly like you might think something ungodly like and you might do something ungodly like not necessarily on purpose but you feel in a certain way as a reaction you're human whatever the case may be so that's to the extent that i understand where nobody's perfect. Uh, but you do that, you realize what you've done, and you own it, and you try and fix it and not continue to do it. So, you know, nobody's perfect. Everyone makes mistakes when someone messes up. So, so again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that's an excuse or that's a license to do it. No, you should try not to do it. Every day you can pray to give Pray to God to give you strength to abstain from doing it. That, that's my take on it. Not everybody's perfect. Hope that was clear.
All right, so we're going to go to the final cliche, which is hate the sin, love the sinner. The first time the Bible cast this saying out of me was when I was reading through the Psalms or the Book of Psalms for the first time. And by that, I mean, this is Nicholas saying, he means a serious and intentional reading of the Psalms. Not just hopping around, picking a verse here or there. Early in the psalm or early in the book, Nicholas goes on to say, we encounter some bold and frankly intolerant language for our tolerant age. And these are some of the things that he addresses, as you can see. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So that was in Psalms chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. Here David says of the Lord that he doesn't just hate the evil that people commit, but he explicitly hates those who do evil, evildoers. In other words, God hates sin and the sinner at first sight this sounds awful but it makes total theological sense god is holy he cannot love evil so what's outstanding about the gospel though is that in christ god hated sin so much that he became sin himself to pay the penalty for it and in so doing he could love and be with the people forever. As Christians, we do not hate people, but love them. And we display love for all people when we encourage them to turn away from sin and believe the gospel. And in the end, well, let me, let me uh, address that. So I hope, I hope that was clear in how you said it, because I, I, I agree. There's a couple of things I want to add from my, my perspective. Um, we are all the creation of God. Now, I'm about to say something that a lot of people probably didn't realize. And again, this is from me. You let it register with your spirit as you see fit. And you know, your spirit will tell you. We are all the creation of God. God is the creator everything here through man some well some of it through man man didn't create grass i, I, I want to make sure i'm clear with this man didn't create grass he didn't create trees he didn't create you know nature he definitely didn't create the sun the moon the stars and the clouds in the sky right so there's definitely a creator right and that creator not only created nature but created us as well I'm hoping that nobody's confused by that. And I know there's different, and I'm glad he also said this theology. Uh, there are theologies that talk about uh, the Darwin theory where, you know, humanity came from a reptile that crawled out the water. Uh, I'll get into that in another topic. Um, 
but I'm just going to stick with this. God created all everything here. We have God created the creator, whoever, however you want to title it. Okay. So in him creating all of us, you know, uh, Nick says, uh, that David says, and I'm glad he said that, that Psalms was written by David. There's two things I, I really want to mention here, and I, you know, I think it's imperative that I do. Um, David says that the Lord, says the Lord that he doesn't just hate the, the evil that people commit, but he explicitly hates those who do evil, which means he not only hates the act, but he hates the person that has done the act. And that's not true. And Nick says it, right? Because there's two things. And I hope I don't forget. I should write it down, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to step out on faith with this one. And I'll do everything. The Bible is truly stated, but it is not a statement of truth. I'm going to say that again. The Bible is truly stated, but is not a statement of truth. Meaning, when you, and this is what you'll pick up, and I, I, uh, I strongly emphasize and suggest that those who uh, have an uh, a adverse feeling about the Bible, I get it, it was written by, King James in the Roman days, and it's been written by man. I get that too. Uh, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the, the different depictions of Jesus. So, you know, growing up, he's white, but the Bible says he was actually wool hair, bronze complexion. Um, so obviously, God has gotten a, a bad rep. Um, I don't believe... Jesus is white, I believe what the Bible says in regards to his complexion. And if you really think about it and dive into it, uh, you know, certain cultures, European, whatever the case may be, they, King James, tried to manipulate the Bible, of course. Uh, but I need, I, I need to say this, that the Bible in and of itself was here before Rome was here. Before those influences were, the Bible was here before them, right? Dates back to Egypt, the Bible was here, right? Actually, the Bible was being written during that time, right? So even though a certain culture took the Bible and manipulated it, the Bible in and of itself, its core is still un untouchable because the Bible, you, need, you know, those who are listening need to understand that the Bible isn't written to your intellect. It's written to your spirit. It's a book of salvation. And what I started off saying, I strongly, strongly suggest that those who feel, you know, a certain way about the Bible and, you know, turned off by it, I strongly suggest you read it for yourself. Read the whole Bible for yourself. Don't take any pastor's or minister's word about the Bible. Don't go to church and just hear them say one, pick out one scripture and, and run with that. No, read the Bible for yourself. What I mean by that is hopefully you can find time to read. If you don't read anything else, read the Bible. Just read it through. It's, it's, it's a challenge. It's a, it's a large book, a lot of pages, and it's very challenging. And there are certain scriptures in there that 
will fly over your head. And it, it, it to some extent, is boring, certain scriptures. You know, you just, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. Uh, but read it anyway, because what you need to understand is that the Bible isn't, again, written to your intellect. When you read the Bible, you're actually feeding your spirit. That's that inner man that resides inside you. And I was talking about this earlier this week. When you sleep, you know, people believe that when they die, that's it. That's all there is to life. They're just going to die, and that's gonna, they're going to cease to exist, and that's it. They will no longer exist. That's it. It's black, dark, boom, done. That's it. Uh, I propose to you that that's not it. I've never died and came back. Let me put that out there. I don't want people saying, you act like you died. How you know that's not it? I've never died and come back. I'm just basing it off what I've experienced and the revelations that the Lord has given me. Am I a minister? No. Am I a pastor? No. Uh, all I can claim to fame or, or claim as my experience is having been raised in the church. Uh, two denominations, actually. Well, one is not a denomination, but Baptist and then a Living Word Church. And I've been here for quite a while. <laughs> I've been on this earth for a while. It may not look like it, but I've been on this earth for a while. And I've had certain experiences, and I can tell you, one, that God is real. The higher being, again, whatever you want to call it, is real. And the other thing, and getting it back to point, what I was talking about, for those who think that once they die, that's it to life, you need to understand that you right now, the you that you're in and you think that you die, that's it. You right now are not this body. You're not in the, you're not the body that you're residing in, if that makes any sense. You are a spirit that resides in a body. It's just like clothes in a suitcase. You are the clothes that are in the suitcase. Or you are the battery that's in the robot or in the machine. The robot in and of itself can't do anything without the battery. You are that battery. So your spirit is that battery that's in your body, if that makes sense. Here's further clarification. When you go to sleep, your body is physically at rest. Not talking about waking up in the middle of the night or tossing and turning in bed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, in general, your body is at rest when you're laying down and you fall asleep. Notice that in that state, you have dreams or nightmares or sometimes both. Your body is at rest. Your body isn't moving. Now, depending on the dream you have or depending on the nightmare you have, you, you do toss and turn or what have you. But your tossing and turning is a result of the spirit that resides in you based on the dream or nightmare that you're having. So it is your spirit that resides in you that's moving your body. Your body in and of itself can't do anything without, your, without you, without your spirit. You are a spirit. Just like the battery is a spirit that goes into a robot that gets that robot to move. You put the battery in the robot, you turn the on switch, and that 
robot moves or, or what have you. I hope that makes sense. When we talk about death and people think when they die, that's it. Just like when you sleep, you have those nightmares, that's your spirit. So when your body, when you, you die or transition, your body will remain here. Your body will be buried or cremated or, you know, at sea or however, the alchemist. Your physical body will be no longer active, so to speak. But your spirit is going to live on, just like your dreams and just like your nightmares. God forbid it be a nightmare you know, when you transition. God forbid that. But just like those thoughts and those dreams are alive when you sleep, so will you because those dreams are intertwined or your spirit being. So keep that word spirit being. So you have a human being. That's where human being, you heard the term human being. You have a human being, a physical being, but you also have a spirit being. And it's your spirit being that resides in your human being that gives your human being or human body life. Let that sink in. Let that register. So that's why I say when you die, those people who believe when they die, they say, no, that's not it. You're still going to be conscious and alive, just not in the physical form. That's what ties in the heaven and the hell, which you read in the Bible. So I said all that to say, bringing it back, that when you read the Bible, try and understand it is not written to your human being. The Bible is not written for your body per se, is written for your spirit. So when you read the Bible, the words that you're reading, it's your spirit that's registering it. It's your spirit that's taking that in. Not your physical body, but your spirit. So that's why I strongly uh, impress upon you just to read the whole Bible. Don't get upset if you don't understand what's being said, because I've had many of conversations with people who say, I, I just don't understand the Bible. It's over my head. What is this thee and thou? And what is this Meshach and Jeseph and begat this? And begat, and that's one of the tough, the old title, one of the tough uh, Bible. I read the Bible twice. And I can honestly tell you that it, had re it registered to my spirit because I was acutely aware that it wasn't written to my mind, but it was written to my spirit. And it just gave my spirit life. Uh, some of you may have experienced this, some of you may have not. And again, I'm trying to stay on point, stay on topic. Um, if you've ever been, in, been through something very traumatic, something uh, heavy, weighing on your shoulders, and you were inclined, like that's why they have Bibles in hotels. I'm not going into all the semantics of that, but that's why they have Bibles in hotels. So whenever you've been through something traumatic in your life, something overbearing, overwhelming, and if you were ever inclined to, if there was a Bible around, you were ever inclined to open the Bible and just open it and just read the first uh, verse that your eyes, you know, lay on, you notice something different happened as soon as you did that. After you read that, something happened. Something, maybe not the first time. I don't know. Maybe you just so tired. You know, you, you allowed the circumstances to cloud your mind and, you know, you were just resistant. Uh, to the Bible, but I'm saying if you were ever in a state of mind where you allowed yourself to be opened 
um, just for a few minutes. All right, well, let me, let me give this a try. Went into it with that frame of mind in reading the Bible. You'll notice because you've allowed that to happen, there's something that happened to you on the inside. And it, 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 there was a, a brief moment of peace. Or there was the verse that you read, con you connected with it or it resonated with it. It resonated with what you were going through. I challenge you to do that. If you're going through something heavy right now, if you're something overwhelming you or challenging you, which I'm sure with what's going on today, I'm sure that's not too far-fetched. So just open the Bible. Don't be strategic about it. Don't open it up to the contents and, all right, I'm going to turn the page five or what have you. I mean, I'm just suggesting that you just take the Bible and if anything, you know, just not slam it or drop it per se, but just lay it out, you know, on the bed, on the desk, what have you. And wherever it lands, whatever book or verse, whatever chapter or verse it lands and when it opens up, by faith, just look at it and wherever your eyes, whatever verse your eyes touch on first, read it. See what happens. I challenge you, try that. So bringing it back to the point, God does not hate the person. He hates the deed, but he doesn't hate the person because he created the person. He created all of us. And what I started to say is that there are two dynamics at play. There are the creation of God, and those, of those, and, and those are those who have been created by God, which is all of us. I'm not getting into alien beings, celestial beings. I'm not. I'm just, this isn't yet. You, you want to talk about that? Put messages in the comments. Put, com you know, put a comment in there. We can go on it out. Just talk about that, too. We can talk about that. I'm just talking about typically for the sake of discussion and for the sake of time. Uh, he created all human beings. That classified as his creation. But there are also children of God. So you have the creation of God and you have the children of God. What's the difference? The difference between the creation of God, the creation of God are all of us. All of us are his creation. But the children of God are those who have accepted God in our lives or in the form, not all, but in the form of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you have any questions regarding that, put them in the comments below. I'll be glad to delve into that. Uh, or ask your minister or pastor or someone you know who's in the faith or ask what that difference is in regards to the creation of God and the children of God. So the children of God are those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord, Master, and Savior. When that happens, that's just like opening the Bible and giving the Bible a chance, just like accepting is giving Jesus Christ a chance to operate in your life. When that happens, you then read more of the Bible, which then gives you further insight into another dimension, so to speak. Now, I know that that was a little whew, dimension. Now what you're talking about, okay? But a spiritual dimension, you, you, you become aware of certain things spiritually that the average person or the creation isn't aware of or they haven't, it hasn't been revealed to them only because they didn't accept Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, and Savior. Or in other words, uh, embark on a relationship with their creator. Right? So you have a creator, but if you don't 
I don't want to say pursue, but if you don't, like if you have parents, right? So you, if you don't go to your parents for advice, I mean, they're going to give you advice. <laughs> they're going to give you advice anyway. But the point I'm trying to make is if, if you have a teacher, I'll use that as a better example. Uh, and you have a question about a problem, typically, you know, if you don't, if you need extra help, per se, more than what the class was taught, you have to go to your teacher and your teacher will break that equation down for you so you can better understand it. Well, that's kind of the difference between the, the God's creation and his children. So when you're a creation and you go to God, like you would go to a teacher, because you, like a teacher, you want more information on this subject matter that you're not familiar with, that teacher will give you more information to help you understand the equation. That's how God works with his children where you're creator, but you're going to God, and I want a closer relationship with you, my creator, to really understand you uh, and how you go about things and what am I here for, what am I purpose, then God will bring about that solution for you and enlighten you on certain things, bringing you into the fold as it were. And you, you, when you read the Bible, you, you then begin to understand more of the word because now your spirit has been awakened your holy spirit has been awakened and is receptive to what the bible is saying and those are instructions for your spirit and then that's how that relationship works and that's what i said in the last video in regards to god doesn't work in mysterious ways so for those of for the, for the creation for those who have who god created to them, God works in mysterious ways because they didn't open themselves up to, to the Lord to be able to uh, understand how God, how, how he works. So they're outside, they're outside the know. They, they don't have the information, they don't have that knowledge as opposed to a child of God who has that knowledge because God revealed it as in the scriptures that I read before. So tying that into this, that's why God can't hate he hates the sin, but he doesn't hate the sinner. Because if he hated the sinner, the person, that cuts that person from ever being able to establish a relationship with God, thereby being a child of God. And, and God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't cut a person off. That's just not how he works. He's a gracious God. So that's why that scripture, you know, needs further clarification. And what I said also, the Bible is truly stated, but not a statement of truth, is that this was David who wrote this. So David wrote that. So that's actually in the Bible. So that is a statement of truth, what David wrote. Now get this, it gets, it gets deep. What David wrote in the Bible is true. That is a statement of truth. It is, it is in the Bible. So that is true. That is truly stated. That's not a statement of truth. That is truly stated. That's in the Bible, so that's truly stated. I'm, I'm emphasizing, I'm saying it over and over again. So register. So bear with me, y'all, who can't stand people who repeat. I'm doing this for those who <clears throat> didn't get it the first time. Or the second time, or maybe the third time. So that is truly stated. I'll say it one more time. David did say that. That is written in the Bible, so that is truly stated. But as far as it being a statement of truth, is not true and that's why in the bible it also says study the word study to show thyself approved rightly dividing the word of truth or rightly dividing the bible that's in the bible so you have to ask yourself why would god allow that to be written in the bible 
or the Europeans and those who, you know, manipulated the Bible to suit their own terms, why would they, why wouldn't they take that out? Why would they leave that in? Because the Bible is the oldest book in the world. It was here before mankind was here, and it'll be here after. And when I say that, I know um, it was written by inspired people. So if it was written by inspired, it obviously couldn't exist before they were here. I get it. I got it. But it existed in the mind of God in order to use them, these prophets, these evangelists, or what have you, to use them to put it down on paper for us to read. But it always existed in some shape or form. Maybe not in book form, but in the world itself, in the earth, in nature, right? Because before the Egyptians were here, there was sand in Egypt. There weren't any pyramids, but there was sand in Egypt. There was uh, cactus and stuff like that. So the, the word of God existed before man was here. It just wasn't in written form or material form, okay? I mean, you can get into that too, but I'm trying to keep this simple and not trying to be too long-winded. So going back to the statement, which I repeated the other one all the time, that what David wrote was not a statement of truth because God does not hate the sinner. That was truly stated, David, I know I said, I'm saying it again. That was truly stated by David, but it's not a statement of truth because God doesn't hate the sinner. And one way that you can, what will help you easily uh, study the word and I know when I say study, you, you, co you coincide study with the mind, but study in terms of your spirit, allowing your spirit to uh, feed, feeding your spirit. Uh, is When you read the Bible, these uh, the latest versions of the Bible, I don't know if some of you notice, if you open the Bible, look at it, that in the New Testament, uh, there are fonts that, that's in red, and the rest of the fonts are in black. And the fonts that are in red is actually Jesus speaking because it's the New Testament. Oh, that's another explanation, but Old and New Testament, right? So the Old Testament is before, B.C., before Christ. The New Testament is, is, after, is with Christ, okay? So the words in red is what's truly stated in the Bible and a statement of truth because it's coming from God directly. It's him himself. Those words fit both categories, whereas it's truly stated and it's a statement of truth. So that's what you read in regards to getting the full context as you study and rightly divide, okay? So that's to that point. He also mentioned, as I close it out, at first sight, this sounds awful, but it makes total theological sense. The ology is not the same to Christianity. Theology is along the lines of denomination, right? And denominations are your Baptist, Protestant, you know, all those type of uh, uh, beliefs or, uh, I don't even know, religions, as it were, um, that, in my opinion, only go so far to further divide, you know, uh, the faith. I, it's more to it than that, but for the sake, again, for this discussion, do some research on that. As opposed to Christianity. Christianity is simply 
a believer of Christ or following the teachings of Jesus Christ. Following the teachings of Jesus Christ are the red font in the Bible. Now, those who are born again, Christians, followers of Christ, aren't perfect, because we read here in the cliches already, everyone's not perfect. I'm not perfect, never claim to be, but I'm striving to be perfect. But, there's, that, that, but that's the difference in regards to Christianity, it's not biblical teaching. Also with that, I, I'm gonna clarify this, in denominational churches, theological churches, and even in some Christian churches, because we're human, we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. God in and of himself does not judge. God does not judge. He loves you for who you, he created you, so he loves you. And that's why it's in your best interest to get to know him personally for yourself. And not to put ministers or preachers or deacons or anyone on any pedestal at all. The only one that should be on the pedestal is God himself. I know that's easier said than done, and we talked about that as well. Because God will never judge you, ever. He loves you for who you are. He accepts you for who you are. And he, and he never accuses you. And we uh, talk about that. So I just keep that in mind. And, but in churches, denominational churches, and even word churches, and even Christian churches, you have people who judge. Because we're not perfect, you know, and we make mistakes. I myself try not to judge. I, I do unto others as I want done unto myself, which is a, I classify as a golden principle in the Bible. Because if I wouldn't want someone to treat me that way, why am I going to treat them that way? That's how I tried to live my life. But everybody doesn't live that way yet or haven't reached that goal yet or what have you. So, uh, so I just want to leave that out there. So I wanted to specify that theological in that sense. So I mentioned the Bible is truly stated, but not a statement of truth. Um, I also got into uh, the New Testament, Old Testament, how there's a difference. And this scripture, Psalms, is from the Old Testament before Christ. So when Jesus came, is the New Testament. And that's why we have been given, um, and I say this a lot, uh, Jesus Christ, you know, John 3, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's because in the Old Testament, if you died in sin, right, you were automatically going to hell. That there, no, there was no, you know, and that brings up another one. So you mean to tell me those who died before Jesus Christ, when they died, are they in hell right now? We can have that topic. We can talk about that. I'm not going to answer that now. It's another one for the sake of discussion. I'm trying to keep this short. I'm just saying that as a comparison. So after Jesus came here and, and Jesus died for our sin, he died so that way we wouldn't go to hell. If we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord, Master, and Savior, he forgives us of our sins and wrongdoing. He wipes our sins as white as snow, removes scarlet. Look that up. Everything I'm saying, look it up. He makes it white as snow. So that way you have a chance to enter into heaven. And we already talked about that after you die, it's not just over. Right? You don't just go to sleep and that's it to your existence. No, your, your spirit being is still alive. And that's real crucial where it determines where your spirit is going to go. So if you don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ, your love, master, and savior, God has nothing else. You can't do anything because you then took power away from him. And I'm going to go into that to God is almighty. He's all powerful. How can anybody take power away from God? 
I don't want to get too long into it, but I'll leave this with you, is the sovereignty of man's will. So whatever you allow in your life, God allows in your life. He leaves that control over to you. That's why he doesn't force you to pray. He doesn't force you to read the word. He doesn't force you to do anything. He allows certain circumstances to happen in your life for a reason in hopes that you would come to him for help and accept him so that way he can protect you through his grace. And even that's how gracious God is because even those who haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ find themselves in certain situations and he still, uh, he still, through his grace, he still allows certain things to happen to give this person another chance so that way they eventually can come to him, hopefully before they transition. God forbid they transition in the state of antichrist where at that point he has, he has his, there's nothing he can do because we didn't allow him to do anything or the person didn't allow him to do anything. I hope that makes sense. This is supposed to be a simple cliche thing. I'll get better. I'll shorten it more. But I hope you got something out of that. I hope this was helpful. Uh, there's more stuff I want to add to it, but like I said, for the sake of time, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, keep it brief. All right. So finally, Nick says, "See Christ, not cliches. Instead of offering people more bad advice via clichéanity, let's turn to offer him, offer them the whole truth, being fully honest, so that we can always lead them toward." the good news of Christianity. Let's refrain from using cliches in our conversations with others. Let's put Christ back into Christianity. This is news that you'll always find. This is news that you'll always find everywhere in the Bible. So that's, I like the ending, you know, in his words, as, as those are his words. Um, I agree with that, but I, I add, read the word for yourself. Um, yeah, strive to be honest. As far as leading, I would say lead by example. Just lead by example. And by that, I mean you live your life according to the word of God. Don't worry about trying to get other people to live their life by the word of God per se. Um, you let your life be an example to those where as they come to you and ask you, you know, there's something about you. Is there peace I see about you? How did you get that? And let that be your opportunity to testify or share with them what you're learning in the word and what God has done in your life. Lead that way is my suggestion. Um, but I wouldn't propose leading by, you know, that whole do as I say, not as I do. Lead by your light. Let other people see your light. And then that'll draw them to you. And that's your opportunity to testify and, and share the word and share the scripture and things of that nature. I'm not promoting anything. I'm not promoting any church, anything like that. My example is the walk, my walk and my life, whereas I'm reading a article of sorts, which talks about Christianity and my experience with it, my feedback from it, and I'm just putting it out there based on my experience, based on my, uh, my walk with God. But that is something that, to an extent, in some way, shape, or form, drew you to this video, whereas I've had the opportunity to share with you from my experience based on 
how I interpreted these uh, cliches, as it were, and how it relates to the Bible. And hopefully that motivates you or inspires you or, quote unquote, leads you uh, to draw closer to the, to the Lord in a personal relationship between you and him. It has nothing to do with me. All I'm doing is letting you know how God has influenced and impacted my life, motivated me and inspired me and give me peace and hope. And I hope that for you, that I believe that I, I actually believe that you trust God. He will definitely give you peace. No doubt. I firmly believe that I, you know, that's, that's, I don't even know how else to say that, but I know, I just know, but you have to experience it for yourself. I can't experience it, experience that for you. So that's all I have to say. And I'll try and be back with more videos in the weekly format. I will be posting it up on my social media channels. So if you're on Kaya Bentley, you see it there. Uh, if you're on my Facebook, I'm there. If you're on, uh, LinkedIn, I'm there. Uh, I will try and post a bulletin or a flyer when I'm going to do another video, when I'm going to post another one up um, in time and what the subject is going to be. In fact, I'm going to, if you saw this, you probably saw the flyer already. Um, so that's what I'm going to do and try and be more consistent in just sharing with you the word of God and, and uh, his impact and experience on my life. So that way you can share with others uh, and everyone could get to know God for themselves and, and live in peace. So thank you for listening. Um, again, if you found this informative, information, inspiring, motivating, any of those sorts, uplifting in any way, uh, don't hesitate to hit the thumbs up button. Don't hesitate to subscribe, the notifications button, and share it. You never know. You might not have needed this, but somebody you know may have needed this. So share that with them. And um, until next time, take care and God bless.